This episode of Kidlet These Days is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new Kidlet books to read, but are you overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for, and then sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. And welcome to episode 33 of Kidlit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your Kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on July 5th, 2020. Hey, Nicole! Hi, Matthew! Do you know that every time you read the intro and you say, alongside Nicole Young, I just wave as if we're on TV and people can <laughs> see me <laughs> every single I time? I love that! <laughs> I, every time, and you can probably hear it in my voice, I smile every time I read your name. Aww. I'm just like grinning ear to ear like I feel like my headphones are going to pop off or something. Hey, I got to start with a compliment to you because sometimes we're recording these episodes and... Our partner uh, records the interview with the guest and we don't get to hear it until the, the episode airs. And that was the case with your interview with Tiffany Jewell, author mm-hmm. of This Book is Anti-Racist. And holy cow, that conversation you both had was beautiful. And and I felt like she really spoke to what it's like being a mama. I remember those phrases of her being a mama. Yes. And thinking about her, her kid. Great. Oh my word! All all of it, just front to back. It was it was beautiful. Thank you for for sharing that with all of us, and thank you to to thank Tiffany you. for having that conversation. Yes, thanks a million, thanks to Tiffany. I thought it was such a rich conversation, and I've it's informed. I mean, all of the work that we're doing on Kidlit, like all the episodes that we do, it just helps me think about how I want to talk about different things to educators and parents in my life. And so, thank you, Tiffany Jewell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so grateful that we have this platform to talk and. You and I are always looking at what is going on in the world that we can confront through the lens of children's literature. And we're going to do exactly that today. But um, before we do that, it's been a minute, like the two weeks, the weirdly, the two weeks in between our recording sometimes really flies by. Um, And then other times I'm like, well, what on earth have I been doing that two weeks has flown by? How, how have your, how have your, how's your week or two weeks been going? My two weeks have been okay. I just feel like I'm in the, like, haze of quarantine slash, like, we're in the midst of continued political uprising, and I just feel like every day is a week. (laughs) Okay. um, But mostly my personal life is is fine. I'm doing well. Um, So I've been feeling good. How about you? Mine has has been similar, like, weirdness, where every day feels like a week. We are now at that place where we're starting to talk about what is school going to look like in the fall. Meaning, I mean, like with my colleagues, we are talking about what school is going to look like. My school has released um, a plan so far with um, plans to update on July 21 and I believe August 16. So things will change. We also currently are seeing an uptick in COVID cases in 34 states, including my Mm -hmm. own, which Mm -hmm. is um, freaking me out a little bit. And we can talk about how (laughs) we can talk about all the things about how leaders should lead and set an example about how um, the reason why we're not going to have independent bookstores is because of people making these decisions and putting folks' lives at risk. Mm-hmm. But the place I think I'd rather bring us to in this moment is that over the past two weeks, I have been um, leading 
courses in a virtual summer camp. And that has been pure joy to be back with children. I had a group of, yeah, right? I had a group of close to 20 kids in a Let's Make Comics week-long course where we went from the how comics work through, you know, paneled art and captions and speech bubbles and things like that into uh, how sequential art works into uh, storytelling and pacing through page turns. Uh, We emerged on the other side, everyone excited and sharing stories. And and that was awesome. And at the same time, because I I need to be on brand. I also had a let's make a podcast group. Yes, I love it. I did did two (laughs) weeks of that. Including, and you'll love this, including we interviewed uh, Jamila Tompkins Bigelow, who has Mm -hmm. a brand new book that just came out called Your Name is a Song. Exceptional book that I will talk about during um, our our book talking time, as well as we got to talk to Derek Barnes, who wrote Crown and Ode to the Fresh Cut. And he has a brand new (laughs) picture book coming out called I Am Every Good Thing. I am every good thing. What? It was an exceptional time together. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you all about it when we get down to uh, book talking. Actually, I'm watching our time, though, and and we ought to go to our next sponsor. Do you mind sharing? Sure. Uh, This episode is sponsored by Never Tell by Catherine Orton. All that 12-year-old Lena knows of the world is the Stalinist labor camp where she was born, a place of hunger, cruelty, and deprivation. After a daring escape into the frigid Siberian wilds with her best friend Bogdan, Lena vows to reach Moscow and find her long-lost grandmother, who she hopes will help her return to the camp to rescue her mother. Lena and Bogdan catch the eye of a vengeful witch, a refugee of oppressive new laws about magic, who commands an army of shadow wolves. Pursued by the witch and in fear of recapture, Lena will need courage to survive the journey and bring hope to a dark place. Well, thank you for sponsoring us this week. Never tell, Never Catherine tell. Orton. We appreciate that. Um, we, I, I realize now that we didn't set up this episode. We didn't. I'll, I'll, I'll say right now that as you and I were texting and we were like, what should we talk about this week? Uh, I believe your words were something along the lines of, what about statues? <laughs> <laughs> because you mentioned Trump and Mount Rushmore. And I was like, oh. yes, yes. Take it all down. Take it down, Matthew. This is where I am right now. Um, so of course, I love it in in the midst of all of these uprisings, Confederate statues everywhere have come down. Um, and also just statues of racists and bigots and, and, and all of the things have been coming down in multiple places. And I lived in new Orleans for many years and there was an effort, uh, to take down the statues in new Orleans. I now live in Philadelphia and there's been an effort to take down the statues here. One of a racist mayor, Frank Rizzo, that actually came down because of the Black Lives Matter protests. And then, strangely, Matthew, this is so bizarre. There is There are two huge ma- monuments to Columbus in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. That people have been, like, armed white vigilantes have been guarding uh, over the past few weeks to keep from taking down. But the, no the thing that is so bizarre to me is that, like, number one, Columbus never came to Philadelphia. Like, he never, ever came here so like why is he being immortalized in this way and then (laughs) the white people the white people who were defending they were like you know it's italian heritage he was an italian you're trying to erase italian heritage and the thing is that columbus wasn't italian because italy wasn't even founded until 1840 so anyways um it doesn't make sense interesting that (laughs) i'm defending well i'm if we step back so I was talking. I was talking to a family member um, <laughs> this morning um, on my halfway through my run, and and it, 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 it as happens when you talk to someone with an opposing viewpoint, you immediately have an appreciation for wow, this is really what you believe. And mm-hmm. I also really believe the things that I believe. And neither one of us. The reason why we have our beliefs is is something deep inside of us, right? Sometimes it's misunderstanding or uh, or or deep understanding, but other times it's it's that we feel a, a, a part of identity from our beliefs. So we were talking about statues coming down, um, and and my family member was very strongly making an argument against history erasure, mm-hmm. which is a I think a very solid point to bring up, but one that is one that we should be wrestling with. 
it's good to be wrestling with this notion of, is it time to take that monument down? Is it time to update it? Is it time to replace it? Who is it hurting by having it in that space? And 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 how can we center conversations of history around 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 understanding why that was built and maybe why it needs to be updated or changed or taken down or or remain there um i'm not trying in any way to come across in some sort of binary thinking about about certain statues and at the same time um the this weekend the columbus statue was torn down in baltimore inner harbor and i was like heck yeah (laughs) (laughs) not not quite inner harbor but that you know down downtown in baltimore um so so yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about it. Like I said to my family member, um, just to air out my ignorances, a lot of that stuff with with Columbus, uh, I quite frankly didn't even know or embrace until at least high school or college. It was there was a whole lot of what the history teachers taught me and what the history books taught me, and I just accepted it with what I was handed, and so, um, that's yeah. that's privilege, and that needs to be checked. But that is where I'm coming from. So, yeah, I got sent to the office in second grade for telling my teacher that Columbus didn't discover America. And so... <laughs> yeah, Nicole Young. <laughs> <laughs> my family was not about it, Matthew. They were not about it. They were like, no, no, no. Let me tell you something. That man did not discover this world. Like, he did not. And, like, do not take that. Like, the 1492 thing, we don't believe that oh, in this yeah. house. Nope. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation when the, like, the erasure of history thing happens, because I think that more more often than not, the monuments that we have currently tend to erase a whole bunch of other people's histories. Their existence, yes. right, erases um, a whole bunch of other histories. Um, for instance, I, like, last summer I was traveling and I was in Lisbon, Portugal, and there's this big statue that's in the, like, touristy part of town that is supposed to be, I don't even know the the person's name, but this Portuguese person who, um, you know, established the, the modern Portuguese country and state, right? And he's he's sitting and all of these people are around him and he's like either leaning on them or sitting on them. And the people he's leaning on or sitting on are all like women and children. One looks like she has African features. She looks like a black woman. And like his his presence in that square, right, like completely ignores the fact that 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 square was a center of the slave hub in like at the time in Portugal, but like around the whole world, because Portugal, I did not know until I was there last summer, was responsible for 50 percent of the slave trade throughout the world. Right. Like they they were responsible for it. Right. And and this statue doesn't doesn't talk about that. It just it just elevates this man to, you know, to a person that we want to immortalize and honor and revere. And I think that I find that with almost all of the statues that have been coming down over the past few months, it's like they're they're pulling them down is about actually exposing a history that has been erased in part because of their erect, like the the fact that these statues were erected, right? Um, These Confederate generals who, you know, have blood on their hands and who killed people and who were, were unabashed haters of black people and, and slavers and punishers and rapers and pillagers of black and brown communities taking their images down from our public squares is a, is an invitation. It's, I don't think it's an exclusion. I think it's an invitation for like a deeper conversation about what history is and whose history we've forgotten. And um, to your point, who, who we choose to elevate, how that might hurt um, whole groups of people, whole, whole identities of people. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I will say too, another thought I was confronted with, that I didn't have an answer to when I was talking to this family member was the notion of folks committing a crime in order to write what they feel like, how they have been wronged by these statues existing. And it was one of those like, well, I mean, sometimes when your voice has been so marginalized and so silenced, you you do everything you can to have your voice heard. And sometimes that looks like, marching and sometimes that looks like toppling over statues and sometimes that looks like spray painting walls and things look different and that it's the word i kept using with this family member is it's it's just complicated 
It's complicated. We need to be asking why, what pain would be causing that person to react in that way. And can we see, can we see them in their pain and try to make it right? Yeah. And I think also there's a conversation that um, I told you before this that I, I'm going to make so many enemies when I say this. So I watched Hamilton for the first time this past weekend. Um, and because it was on it was on Disney and I hadn't seen it. I had seen piece. I'd heard, of course, the music because you can't escape it. Um, and so I'm a huge musical theater fan. But for some reason, I had been avoiding Hamilton, I think, in part because of the feeling that I had when I walked away from it. Um, but I was watching it and it is a wonderful music. I think the first act is is really strong. I think the second act is not as musically strong. But anyways, I think the first act is really beautiful and well done. It's a great production. But like it also um, it also romanticizes um, men who were slaveholders. Right. Like they are the founders of our nation. They are definitely like they wrote these things, but they were writing them at the exclusion of women. Right. And while they were actively having a conversation about what slavery was. Right. And like the good thing about the first act of Hamilton is that it wrestles with this thing. Right. Like it wrestles with it. Um, but I, I think that one of the things that was happening as I was watching the musical is that it was highlighting all these things that the then, you know, re- rebels who formed the the now United States, right, had to do these illegal things in order for the British monarchy to recognize their revolt, right? So, like, the Boston Tea Party was an illegal act, right? Like, it was an illegal thing, but it led right. to the birth of this this nation, right? Like, slavery was once legal, like, very, very, very legal. And so, like, in order to combat it people had to do illegal things in order to highlight the the fact that like legal doesn't necessarily mean moral or right and so that's like the conversation i've been having with people about taking these statues down and also just about vandalization in general during the uprisings it's just like you know first of all a riot is the language of the unheard but then second of all um that like sometimes just because it's legal doesn't mean that it's right a no-knock warrant is legal in a lot of states but i think it is inherently unmoral right for you to be able to invade someone's home for no reason and to kill someone who you know like brianna taylor in her case like kill someone who you didn't actually need to like who is not responsible for any crime and so the legality thing i know it's hard for people to really wrestle with but some of the the people we revere in history were were lawbreakers thanks for sa- thanks for sharing that nicole i feel i feel like it's not it's not meant to be easy conversations yeah and in fact i think that's what a lot of folks a lot of white folks in particular are are confronting right now is that there's some really big thoughts that perhaps perhaps certain individuals haven't ever had to confront before or had to determine how do you feel about this and that that that's not nothing to be grappling with this. Um, I have a couple. Um, <laughs> I have a couple resources about statues that I wanted to share with you. Um, <laughs> um, first, um, maybe my most recommended podcast ever. Uh, re-aired an episode uh, from a couple years ago that they did because they had been updating it. I want to share that with you. Do you ever listen to Ninety Nine Percent Invisible? Yes, I've listened to a nice. few episodes, but not a lot. Yeah. So, ninety nine percent invisible is a is a design podcast, and they they talk about all all things design, and design is in everything. And they brought and one of their slogans, I should say, Roman Mars, the host. Uh, one of the slogans he always, always, always says is, "Always read the plaque." Right. Always mm-hmm. read the plaque. Whenever going somewhere, you see that plaque. Always read that plaque. Mm-hmm. Understand the context of things and why things are happening and being remembered. So they re-aired an episode called uh, Return of Onyate's Foot, which is um, this this iron cast foot of this of this monument was um, cut off. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don Juan de Oñate. Uh, it was it was cut off. This is a statue that was erected in New Mexico. Um, the statue was erected to honor a Spanish conquistador named Juan de Oñate, um, and the Oñate is is looked to for for New Mexico being founded, mm. and um, the Spanish roots that are there in New Mexico, but. 
um, many folks were not aware of the history behind Anyate, right? Until mm-hmm. this this uh, someone, an unknown group of people, um, the letter was written as if it came from a group, um, removed the foot of this statue. <laughs> and in the letter said, we're going to melt it down into uh, medallions to sell. Uh, the reason why they removed the foot is because, as I'm sure you're putting together, Anyate removed the feet of the people that opposed him. Mm. Uh, and so they did this as an act of protest. And uh, the foot was reattached and um, or a, a foot was recast and, and remade. And, you know, people were watching the center. But ultimately, um, the update that I really encourage everyone to listen to if you haven't heard it and also to return to it um, is that they had a chance to bring in um, three opposing viewpoints for redesigning the memorial. Mm-hmm. And one was an indigenous um, artist and one was a an artist of Spanish descent. And um, I can't recall the third, but um, the, the work and the conversation around, around history, around learning your history and, and that it's whenever you learn is the right time to learn. Right. Yeah. Um, that we can't, we can't be beating ourselves up for not knowing now, no. but we can be learning now and, and, and doing better. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm like waxing ecstatic about this episode. It's fantastic. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes and Nicole, after you listen, let's talk about it. Cause it's, it's, it's something that I'd love to, to just talk about with folks because it's, it's interesting again, that, that conversation of, of, of how these different individuals can mean different things to different people and that we need to reconcile that. Yeah. And, and the risk that we all face when we don't reconcile that is, is, um, is really causing harm and further marginalizing voices that, that have been victim to that for decades, centuries. Yeah. And causing harm to all of us because we just don't know. Right. I think I had a moment, I just, I, when I was living in New Orleans, they unveiled a plaque that when you said always read the always read them, um, they had unveiled this plaque in um, St. Malo Parish in New Orleans. And it was apparently the first um, Filipino American, like the first place where Filipino Americans ever came to the U.S. was in um, in this in this place in Louisiana. And they were a huge part of John Lafitte's rebellion, which is a part, a huge part of Louisiana history. And John Lafitte is is recognized everywhere. Like his statue is everywhere. Everything's named after Lafitte. Like there's Lafitte Park. There's all this stuff. And this whole population of huge population of Filipino immigrants um, were were really essential in the creation of modern New Orleans. Like their culture informed modern New Orleans. And I'm an educator, Matthew. Led a school. We were talking about all these like you know trying to bring in alternate histories. And I had never heard it. And you know, and I was, what, 34 years old when I learned that this was a part of the history of the state that I had lived in at that point for five years. And like you said, it's just there's never it's never too late to learn. But then we also have to then rethink what we're what we are saying about the place. And we're all poorer from not knowing that, like everyone. Yeah. Everyone yeah I mean, it took me it took me forever to have the phrase in my mouth that the history we tell is often the history of the oppressor. Mm-hmm. The the we are the ones. I I get that old adage of like, history is told by the people that win the war or whatever, but it, people are also silenced by the same voices. So let's talk about. <laughs> speaking of silencing, how can I lead into this? I'm so giddy to tell you uh, about this executive order that was <laughs> <laughs> signed into order on July 3rd. Is that? I'm not. I'm really legit. Not trying to be sarcastic, but <laughs> trying to let people know. How our how our uh, leadership is responding. So there was an executive order on July 3rd, just signed. Uh, It's called the Executive Order on Building and Rebuilding Monuments to American Heroes. Again, I'll link it in the show notes. I'm going to (laughs) I'm going to read to you, if you don't mind, just so we have a sense of how mm, how our leadership is looking to respond and what I think opens up an interesting conversation that I haven't heard yet. So let me let me go into this. Um, it starts 
by the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, it is hereby ordered as follows. Um, Section 1. Purpose. America owes its present greatness to its past sacrifices. Because the past is always at risk of being forgotten, monuments will always be needed to honor those who came before. Since the time of our founding, Americans have raised monuments to our greatest citizens. In 1784, the legislature of Virginia commissioned the earliest statue of George Washington, a, quote, monument of affection and gratitude, end quote, to a man who, quote, united to the endowments of the hero of virtues of the patriot and gave to the world an immortal example of true glory, end quote. Um, I scroll down and it reads, these statues are silent teachers in solid form of stone and metal. They preserve the memory of our American story and stir in us a spirit of responsibility for the chapters yet unwritten. And I'm going to scroll down just one more time to read here. To destroy a monument is to desecrate our common inheritance. In recent weeks, in the midst of protests across America, many monuments have been vandalized or destroyed. Some local governments have responded by taking their monuments down. Among others, monuments to Christopher Columbus, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Francis Scott Key, Ulysses S. Grant, leaders of the abolitionist movement, the first all-volunteer African-American regiment of the Union Army in the Civil War, and American soldiers killed in the First and Second World Wars have been vandalized, destroyed, or removed. These statues are not ours alone to be discarded at the whim of those inflamed by fashionable political passions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's my favorite line. Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm breaking form. They belong to generations that have come before us and to generations yet unborn. So this is obviously the president um, speaking. No, Quite that is interestingly. not the president. He well, did not write that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's definitely like, hey, stop breaking, stop tearing down my statues. But he, he, um, he informed this. Is that the way to say it? He informed this executive order. Okay. In part, he mm-hmm. he is. I can hear some of the words from Mount Rushmore, <laughs> from the Mount Rushmore speech in this. But what I thought was interesting is that they're they're um, forming an endowment or not an endowment. That's not the right word. They they they. One of the things they want to do is establish the National Garden of American Heroes to be established within sixty days of the date of this order. So within two months from now. Um, um, this task force is to be formed to uh, create the National Garden, which would um, consider the, quote, consider the availability of authority to encourage and accept the donation or loan of statues by states, localities, civil civic organizations, businesses, religious organizations, and individuals for display at the National Garden to be composed of statues, including statues of John Adams, Susan B. Anthony, Clara Barton, Daniel Boone, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, Henry Clay, Davy Crockett, Frederick Douglass, Amelia Earhart, Benjamin Franklin, Billy Graham, Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, (laughs) you got it, Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln, Douglas MacArthur, Dolly Madison, James Madison, Krista uh, McAuliffe, I'm reading too fast, Audie Murphy, George S. Patton Jr., Ronald Reagan, Jackie Robinson, Betsy Ross, Antonin Scalia, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, George Washington, and Orville and Wilbur Wright. Very, very specific names mentioned right there. Very specific names. Also three black people that I could count and from very strange... Yeah, that's so strange. Okay. Yeah, it just continues that the statue should depict historically significant Americans. Um... And it goes on to to list more interesting, I thought, though, just a a conversation that I hadn't heard brought up before of what do you do with these statues torn down? Um, And the one idea, maybe, I can't imagine that one idea is to take all of the torn down statues and make like a Columbus wing of this (laughs) national garden. But but an uh, an idea of having a, a garden of statues is... I don't know, quite frankly, a bit perplexing to me, but I don't, it's, it's, it's weird as if to say that like, Hey, we tore down the one in this place, but we're going to make it better by having a garden of statues somewhere else. I don't quite know how I feel about it, but I, I, I'm going to listen to your response. And then I, I found another article about, 
um, how an artist is responding to statues that I thought was a super cool um, response that is not what the White House is doing. But first, <laughs> what, first, what are your thoughts on this, Nicole? I don't know. I, I was living in New Orleans, as I said, when we were doing a lot of taking down of statues, including Lee Circle, which is like a, is a big one in New Orleans. And Lee was a big Confederate, Confederate general. Um, and so it was there was a lot of debate around it and there was a lot of pushback and there were a lot of injunctions and legal orders against taking it down. And then ultimately, no one knows. I think it's in a, like a holding place, the statue right now. Um, after it was removed. I, and, I, you know, I think that they belong in museums. Museums are the right place for those kinds of things. Um, but in the public square, right, um, yeah. where you are having to see it every day, like someone who, like, and for instance, Lee, Lee Circle is in the center of, like, downtown New Orleans. And it was so, one, one of the reasons that was so hard to take the statue down was because it was up 10 stories, right? So it's 10 stories wow. on this elevated platform and then at the top is uh is lee and like to like for him to be looking down on you as a person who like this man wanted me enslaved he thought my people were like subhuman and he wanted me enslaved and to have to like go around that circle every day in new orleans and have that statue staring down at you it's just like i know that that's not the right place for it i'm not 100 percent on what the right the place right place is i think it's a museum i think it's you know something like that but um I don't need, and the thing is, like Lee's name is on so many things, as is Christopher Columbus's name. I mean, Columbus, Ohio, oh, will yeah. forever Streets, have his buildings, name. everything, sure. <laughs> and so, like, I don't think that there's any danger that we will forget these people. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know where they go. I don't know. <laughs> but what if we forget? What if what our future if generations forget? forget the name? That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I um. I love that you gave the um, Indiana Jones response. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> First, I want to just take a moment <laughs> to acknowledge that. <laughs> um, and I, I think also that, that that leads me right into the other article I was going to share. But it also brings up that I think that some folks see the the dismantling of of statues as discarding of these statues or this this you know, the reason why the memorial was established or the monument was erected in the first place. And that's, that is not at all what I have been hearing about uh, any of this movement to tear down things. It's not to, to erase, to ignore, to melt them down and turn them into whatever, but um, rather to, to get it out of the site and centering of where it is to have a statue 10, 10 stories in the air, yeah. literally looking down on the people that drive beneath it um, is, uh, yes. Um, thank you for sharing that with us, Nicole. And I, I'm sorry for that pain that it would have caused you and others to be, to be under that watchful eye every yeah. day that you, make that commute that's 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 awful it's just a bizarre thing i also from virginia like that's where i'm originally from and on martin luther king day because the virginia state house didn't want to acknowledge martin luther king um they made the holiday a combined holiday so we celebrated when i was a kid lee jackson king day right (laughs) so so those first two names you may know are confederate generals and so it was like confederate general and martin luther king day that was what we celebrated as kids um and so i just think it's um interesting the conversation about erasure because it's like actually like we've, we've built an erasure into so many things and it's like who are we worried about erasing and it sounds to me and most of these conversations that we're worried about erasing white men and we're not worried about erasing the legacy of Martin Luther King or the legacy of the the enslaved people who suffered at the hands of these folks um, or the, the Native American people who suffered at the hands of Columbus. Right. Like mm. we are not worried about those people's histories and memories. We don't know their names and we're, we're content with not knowing their names. Right. But what we're discontent with is possibly Columbus's name falling from from its elevated status, which I think we should all question whether or not it deserves it, right? So, yeah. yeah. I um the last article I wanted to share, and I will fly through this before our book talking, is that there was an article published in the New York Times uh, last month, June fifteenth, and the uh, the headline was the statues we the statues were toppled, 
what happens to them now? And um, um, among many things that it was highlighting, including um, some of those individuals who are not just on a statue, but on street names and building names and and all of those different things, uh, schools, things like that. Um, This talked about one British artist. This in particular was looking at... um, a slaveholder, I believe, in Germany. The article was in. This was uh, from across the pond, wherever the article was happening. But um, but also talked about uh, this British artist named Hugh Locke, um, who has taken to um, dis- <laughs> to to vandalize the statue in a way appropriate with the crime against humanity they've committed. <laughs> so, like, this is so cool. And it said like, yeah, we've already torn down these statues, but we should put them back on their, on their monuments, like toppled over on their side, like re-weld them <laughs> sideways or, you know, they, they show an image of, I believe it was Columbus. Um, just like, wrapped and wrapped and wrapped in like gold and jewelry and things like that with a with a cloth covering his mouth so as not to catch the disease just like amazing amazing (laughs) acts of art but one that Mm -hmm. that caused the public to continue to reconcile with the truth of that individual there is certainly something to be said for when you remove something from the public eye you no longer have to engage with it Mm-hmm. So, so that I just thought that was an interesting, different take to to augment, if you will, the statues in such a way, mm-hmm. so as to to cause us to to think about them differently, which is not unlike what what we're bringing up about putting them in a museum around other contexts. It's not unlike what we're what we're saying about bearing witness to what what people are are saying during these protests and while these things are, while these monuments are being torn down, I just thought that was a really interesting take from an artist to, uh, to vandalize as, as means of truth telling. I thought that was cool. I love it. I love it. Anyway, we've spent an awful, an awful long time talking about this good stuff and I'm giddy about it. Let me get to our, our, our final sponsor of the day. And then we'll talk a little bit about books. So, Kidlet These Days is sponsored this week by Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. Enrich your reading life while with our own Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and a brand new epic level. And you can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our new group read hosted online, available to all Epic members. Each quarter we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge and cap off our read-along with a live chat. But wait, there's more. Get the full details on this and on all the other perks and sign up at insiders.bookriot.com. All right, Nicole, it is that time for mm-hmm. us to talk books, for us to talk about people that write books and blaze trails with books. Uh, it is our book talk segment. Remember, folks listening, that uh, you can find every book mentioned in our show notes by going to bookriot.com slash listen to find episode 33 of Kidlet These Days. You are welcome to add to the conversation using hashtag Kidlet These Days on social media or always email us at Kidlit these days at bookriot.com. We uh leading into this, we're we were Nicole and I were talking a little bit about who would we memorialize in children's literature mm-hmm. for the impact they've had. And right away I said, Oh, this reminds me that Karina and I, we found out a year ago, actually, Karina and I did an episode called Standing on Shoulders, where we talked about the trailblazers in children's literature. Um we had uh, Linda Sue Park guesting, and um, we we talked about those those authors of color and indigenous authors who have 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 made room for other people to follow in their trail. And so, um, Nicole, you have so excitedly brought a handful of amazing books. I would love to hear you talk books today, and I'm happy to pepper in. But I'm just so excited about what you're going to share. Yay, I have a lot. Um, well, first of all, I think someone I would like to see memorialized in children's literature um, is Toni Morrison. She's a queen. I also think she should get statues made to her. I think we should put wreaths at the foot of these statues every day. Um, but um, we don't have any right now. So 
<laughs> finding, <laughs> finding Langston is by Lisa Klein Ransom, um, and it's a story about a young boy named Langston who is, uh, he's growing up in the, I think in the 1940s, and he finds out, his mother passes away, and then he finds out that um, he was named after the poet Langston Hughes, and so it's just like this beautiful rumination on Langston Hughes, who's an incredible poet, black poet in the in the history from the Harlem Re- Renaissance, and I just love this book, and so I felt like it fit, fit into our theme for today. Yeah. Um, Betty Before X is uh, by Eliza Shabazz and Renee Watson, and it's about um, Betty Shabazz, uh, Malcolm X's wife, um, and a civil rights icon in her own right, um, about her life before she became Betty X, right? So um, I, I love this one because it also just shines a light on, on on folks that we don't always hear from. You know, there's a picture um, book, too, um, that Ilyasa Shabazz wrote called, oh, I have to look it up. I believe it's called Becoming Malcolm. Um, that That is a, a, a beautiful book also written from a, a child's perspective, from her perspective, really. Um, that's worth checking out. I'll make sure we, we include that, too. I love it. And um, another book is Gordon Parks, How the Photographer Captured Black and White America. And it's by Carol Boston Weatherford. And it's illustrated by Jamie Kristoff. And I just love this because I think so much, um, I think Gordon Parks is such an influential um, photographer. And like, especially at a very particular time in American history, he was documenting the very separate uh, U.S.'s that existed during the 1950s and 60s and into the 70s. And he also um, was talking about, like, through his his photographs, he was talking about um, about the Jim Crow South and about the Jim Crow North and just in general, like, that rea- reality for black and white people at the time. And his, I just, his images are just so visually arresting. And I just think it's important that we add him to the pantheon of people we're honoring and uplifting. And he blazed a trail for other black photographers who wanted to use their their photography as social commentary um so yes to the gordon parks book do you know Um, the the picture book do you know the picture book take a take a photo of me james vanderzee no i don't know this one yeah written by andrea loney the the same author of bunny bear that i talked about last time yes oh who hit us (laughs) up on twitter i love that (laughs) but but similarly um James Vanderzee, this book is published by um, Lee and Lowe Press. And this is uh, this is sort of the man who photographed the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And his photos were almost lost to history. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he, when, when photography came, became more ubiquitous, um, his role as a photographer and a, and a touch-up artist... Um, became less and less uh, sought after. Uh, and his his photographs almost, again, were lost to history. Beautiful picture book. I'll make sure that we include. But um, yeah, powerful. I love it. And you and I talked beforehand about um, Pam Munoz Ryan. Um, but I, I recently read the audiobook or listened to the audiobook of Esperanza Rising. Um, and I loved it because... I thought it was just excellently written, of course, but then also she was highlighting this movement that was happening, this farm workers movement that was happening in the 1930s in California. Um, And she's done in her career, Pam Munoz, Ryan, just so much work around elevating the stories of people who don't always get their histories told. And so I I really wanted to highlight Esperanza Rising and her work because I I think it's just a great, she's, she's just got picture books and middle grades books that are in invested in like telling alternate histories and I had to do so much looking up after that book after Esperanza Rising I was like I want to learn more about the 1930s farm workers uprising and I just I did a whole bunch of reading after it it inspired me to learn a whole other history that I had never known and how there was this kind of cross-language cross-cultural farm workers movement that was happening in California um and I think when I'm thinking about who do we replace these these people on statues with right I just think about the fact that we should replace them with images of movements, right? Of people whose names we may never know, but who like led to rights for other workers, who led to mm. a conversation about civil rights and human rights that we were not having before they brought it to the conversation. And so Esperanza Rising, I, br- I bring, but I would also, I would love to see a monument to the farm workers movement of the 1930s. You know, like I would love to what see a that. Beautiful idea. Wow. Yeah, I would love that. 
um, yeah. in in place. I think we can put up, you know, we can take down a few Columbuses and put those up somewhere. So <laughs> I'll trade you a few Columbus. No, you can even melt down the Columbuses and just exactly. repurpose the metal. Exactly. Exactly. Very green solution. Do you like that? That was good, right? Oh boy. Um, Inside Out and Back Again is by um, Tanha Lai. And it's about a Vietnamese girl who um, immigrates to the U.S. because of the Vietnamese War and ends up in Alabama. And it's a coming-of-age story and an immigrant story about that. But I highlighted this one because um, I think that the story of Vietnamese immigrants in the south of the U.S. is a story that is never told, it is never immortalized. But there is a huge Vietnamese population in New Orleans, for instance. When I moved there, I was just shocked at how huge the population is. But after the Vietnamese War or, you know, at the war in Vietnam... Um, people were coming to the South and the South in a lot of these places in Alabama and Louisiana looked like Vietnam, Vietnam, the topography did. And so people set up shop and became integral parts of Southern culture in those places. And so this story feels like it's a one-off of this one Vietnamese girl in Alabama, but it is totally not. And it's about another, a whole group of, of people whose stories is written out of the South. So I, um, I think that again, if we could do a, a big, huge, you know, group, statue we could do some statues to the vietnamese fishermen who've come and re you know like re-energize the um the fishing industry uh by being immigrants there so yeah what a beautiful thought and that that book is exceptional written in verse as well it's so beautiful yeah um and then i i'm gonna skip um m M is for movement is by Ino santo nagara who's writing who writes all of these books about movement work um, and uh, A is for activists, all of these things with her beautiful collages. Um, and so I just wanted to highlight M is for movement again to remind us to think about when people are asking, well, what do we replace them with? There are so many movements that have been erased that you've never heard of that we never learned. And so why not make public spaces a place for engagement and learning where we have to hear about these histories that we were never taught in school? I think that's wonderful. I think alongside our our statue to Toni Morrison. I think we need to have one for Walter Dean Myers. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I, all the names I could think of um, were, were also names that 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 awards are given in their honor. And of course, the mm-hmm. Walter Dean Myers Award is given by We Need Diverse Books alongside the Library of Congress. Um, there are there are there are many, many important folks for children to be reading. Uh, one of the names that, that came to mind for me as well uh, is the work of Leslie and Newman, mm-hmm. who in 1989 wrote a groundbreaking picture book called Heather Has Two Mommies, one that was banned for years and years and years and years as the country figured out that queer people are people as well and that they are born this way. It is not a defect. It is not a socialization. Uh, Leslie's work continues both to lean into her Jewish identity as well as her queer identity. And she so beautifully writes stories that quite frankly have opened, have opened the way for other queer authors to write. And mm-hmm. that to me is something that cannot be overlooked, um, especially in children's literature, as as we talk all the time about how identity is beginning to form at ages two, three, four, that this is the time to engage children in talks about who we are and what our intersectionality is and, and what things sparkle in us like diamonds there are so many things and i'm grateful that leslie's work continues to shine in that way when you saying that just made me think also about when a friend came out with an adult book this this uh week that was it's all about disability visibility um and it's by it's a collection of essays by alice wong and i was saying to her when i read that the book was coming out that there needed to be a at least a middle grades version, but if not a, a middle grades or a picture version of this book, because I think something that often happens is the erasure of people with disabilities from the conversation as if they are not people, as if they could not be leaders. Um, and like, you know, I think about FDR as a president and he was in a wheelchair and we never see him immortalized in statue in a wheelchair. And what would that do 
to young people who are in wheelchairs and about them helping them imagine themselves as the president of the United States if they knew that we already had a president with a disability, right? Like we did. And if we all were aware that like that that is a reality, that that is something that we could explore and see and that people with disabilities are just as capable as anyone else to be leaders and and drivers of policy and drivers of nations even, right? So I just think about what our current statues are doing and 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 what they could do to to your point about the, the um, Heather has two moms like to help people understand that like this is a reality for so many people so many people who are 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 living their lives and want to live their lives as fully and freely as they can how could we figure out how to immortalize in a way um, that would help people be freer you know yeah to hold that mirror up as well as holding a mirror up quite frankly for white people to see the harm that we have done. Mm. Um, But to make space for those that have not seen themselves yet, um, to see themselves, as you said, as leaders, as, as path makers, it's, that's a, yeah. We. (laughs) We're so over time, aren't we? (laughs) We're, no, it's, it's, I think that we're also tapping into something that is, there's so much more to talk about that I'm sure we will revisit this and I will look forward to revisiting this with you, Nicole. Yay. (laughs) And on that yay, thank you everyone for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast. We always appreciate a rating on Apple podcasts. Do that. And you also help other people to find us. That's a great thing, right? That's a great Mm -hmm. thing. You can find me, Matthew Winner at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, tweeting radical things about tearing down monuments at itty-bitty.ny. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you'd like to hear on the show next. On that note, may your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming. (laughs) 